travel through the, the book of First Kings, and um, we're just going to jump right into it here. It's We're going to see the goodbye to Jeroboam and Rehoboam in this chapter. It says, At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, remember Jeroboam is the servant of Solomon that rebelled, mainly, I think, because Solomon was trying to kill him, and now he's up over the ten tribes up north, also called Israel now. And his son became sick, and Jeroboam said to his wife, please, arise. I mean, just why? Just kind of step into this whole thing. It's kind of crazy. Please arise and disguise yourself that they, who's the they? We're going to have to figure that out. That they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh. Please watch how that's all worded there. Indeed, Ahijah, or however it's pronounced, the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over his people. He's spoken good things to me in the past. Of course, he also had told them if as you walk with God, God's going to bless you. If you don't walk with God, God's not going to bless you. I mean, he told them lots of other things. But remember, this is the guy that set up the two golden calves in Bethel and in Dan. He's a full-on idol-worshiping king. And now he's saying, hey, um, honey, uh, can you go down? Can you disguise yourself so they, we don't know who the they are yet, but we're going to figure it out. And can you go down to him? He's the one who told me I'd be king over the people. It seems like he always has good news for us. Also, will you take with you, because some people's approach to even to Jesus is, is this way, also, take with you ten loaves, because if you come empty, God's not going to receive from you. Some cakes and a jar of honey. And yet back then, if you went to see the man of God, you would take something. It's kind of similar, I guess, what you would maybe say is the offering today. But he's doing it because he thinks he has to take something, though. I think that's what's happening here. But you go to him, and he'll tell you what will become of the child. Now, Here's what's so odd about this. Your child's really sick, right? Maybe even like die, live. Don't you think you would go down and tell the, ask the man to, for healing for your son? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't you moms and dads, your kid's really sick? He's not asking for healing from the prophet. He's not even asking for prayers from the prophet. You know what he's looking for? A psychic. He's looking for a fortune teller, you know, lucky charm, fortune teller, if you remember the Robin Hood kids cartoons. I mean, this is religion at its finest moments, finest moment. You have a need? No problem. Some, send someone to God for you. After all, he's there to serve you. And so the first thing we see here is that Jeroboam realizes that he's not able to go because he serves other gods, which is true. He set them all up. But he also knows no use consulting his gods because they won't answer. Because his gods are the golden cows that who made? That he made. So how well is your golden cow going to answer you that you make? I don't know. 
Some Christians bow down to him today, so I, I don't know. I hope we don't have any here, but maybe this is for sake of the internet. So he gets his wife because, I don't know, she's the more spiritual one. Not, because she's not. Because if she had any idea about the God of Israel, moms, wouldn't you go there and plead with this guy for your son? Yes or no? Yes. Of course you would. So he tells her not to be herself. You know, it's the old trick God play. Take the perfect offering, go to the prophet in Shiloh, and he will declare to you God's will for your son, for our son. Unfortunately, this is the approach many people take when they come to church with one exception. To, today, people don't proclaim God's word in so many places. The sad thing of life today, thousands upon thousands of people do exactly what Jeroboam is seeking to get his wife to do. The man creates the plan. The woman disguises herself. The man presents a little offering, and then she goes and meets with God. Sounds familiar? Yeah, it is. It's religion. But this is religion of the submissive wife variety. And so Jeroboam's wife did so. But I suggest to you, she didn't have to go the way he told her to go. Sure, disguise yourself. Yeah, that's fine. But she could have went down there and asked her for mercy. But this is, this is how far away, I mean, in such a short period of time, they've lost sight of the God of Israel. She, she could have went in and fell on her face before the prophet pleading for the life of her son. No, I, There's no doubt in my mind that God would have answered that, that God would have done something there, but she doesn't. You know, the Bible declares, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. And we're not going to talk about what that means because it doesn't mean probably what you think it means. But it also says in Colossians 3.18, it says, wives, be submissive to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. So the key words here is as is fitting to the Lord. So what Jeroboam is having his wife to do, it's not fitting to the Lord. So, hey, honey, uh, can you go down there? Yes, I'm going to go. But she could have went with a different approach. She could have went humbled herself, and God would have said, I'm not going to heal, and she could have came back and said, hey, I went down, and what'd they say? Well, I humbled myself before God Almighty. He's not going to, our son's going to live. But she doesn't. Because she has no knowledge of the God of Israel. It's sad. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose, verse 4, went to Shiloh, and came to the house of Ahijah, but Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. So if the prophet can't see, what purpose did Jeroboam have then in disguising his wife? But see, look back at verse 2. I mean, maybe the prophet doesn't, maybe uh, the, the king of Israel doesn't know that the prophet's blind. It's possible, but verse 2 says, disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as my wife. So who's the they here? I'm, I'm, I'm alone here, at least I didn't read every commentary on the planet, but the ones I read, I'm alone here. See, as I look at this, I don't believe it's to fool the prophet. I think it was to fool those who Jeroboam rules over. See, he didn't want the people that he rules over, that he set up the golden calf so that people could worship. I don't think he wanted them to know that he was going to send his wife to the true and living God. It would be bad for his reputation, and it would be really bad for business and the golden cow business. Hey, Jeroboam, where's your wife going? Uh, 
She's going down to seek the true and living God, but you just keep seeking our golden cows and everybody will be happy and fine. I think that's who the day is. But out of desperation for his son that was sick, he knows he can't consult his pagan gods. He doesn't go and burn a stick of incense and say an empty prayer to some rock or some golden cow that he made. It's interesting, when the chips are down, he goes to the one who controls the days of man's life on this earth. Just like we saw Sunday morning when the hellstones were beginning to fall. And people all of a sudden knew who was causing them to fall. God was, but they didn't repent. They cursed and they blasphemed the God of heaven. They knew who he was. But here's what they didn't know, just like this woman doesn't know. They didn't, those people, as they're cursing God, as the hellstones are falling and, and God's judgment, they don't understand that he's a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness God. Because if they would have, they would have repented right then. And it's the same way for this woman. If, if she would have known, and you know what? There's Christians that don't know that God is a gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great kindness God. And so they think their failure eliminates them. They get so focused on their problems, but I... I suggest to you, show me anywhere in the Bible where it says focus on your problems and not focus on Jesus, the solution. You know, the only place it really shows about focusing on the problem is the bad counsel of Job's three friends. Because all they do is they focus on what they believe are all of Job's problems, and then God comes and rebukes them and says, hey, Job's going to, you know, offer an offering for you, otherwise I'm going to kill you. But, I mean, so often it's, we just focus on the problem instead of focusing on who God is. Nowhere in the Bible does it say focus on the problem. It says throw, throw off those things, anger, wrath, throw those things off, but it doesn't say focus on it. It says we're new creatures in Christ. The old things have passed away. But see, nobody knows that here. Church, we need to know that. that God is a, a, a gracious, I mean, when, we need to know that when we come to the cross, he's gracious and merciful. He'll sympathize with us because he's been tempted in everything as we have, as we are. But he didn't sin. We need to know that. Well, he doesn't know that. Jeroboam seems to know that. But God knows Jeroboam in his ways. And so it's interesting how people are open to the true God when the chips are down, isn't it? So the Lord said to Ahijah, here is the wife of Jeroboam, verse 5, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will prepent, pretend to be another woman. <laughs> Nothing's hidden from the Lord, right? He knows everything. And this is what I love about my relationship with Jesus. I, I really believe Jesus wants us fathers and mothers to be successful parents, but successful parenting comes from spending time with the Lord and giving Jesus the opportunity to give you insight into what is happening in your home so he can speak words to you. I mean, here he is. He's speaking words to the prophet. Hey, I know what's going on in their home here. Let me tell you what's going on there. Even though the prophet was blinded physically, he was spiritually in tune with the Lord. You know, don't say God doesn't have a great sense of humor here. As the pretender approaches the door, Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door. He said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? <laughs> you know, so much for man's cleverness. Man, we thought we had a great plan there. 
Man may fool man a lot of the times, but nobody is fooling God any of the times, even though many people think they do. Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For Watch this, how this is worded. For I have been sent to you with bad news. No, 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 no. I'm coming to you for news. The prophet says, God's man says, no, no, I, I've been sent to you. Mother, that's what he's saying. I've been sent to you, mother of Jeroboam's children. I've been sent to you with bad news. Not you've come here for news. No, 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 I have something for you from God. And in the wisdom of man, Jeroboam thought that if man looked just right on the outside, it acted just right, that one could appease God. But that's works, team, and you and I are under the covenant of grace. You know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And what did you have to do to, to earn that? Somebody say it. You can say it in whatever language you want. Zero, not as zilcho, you know, nothing. We did nothing. When you turned to Jesus and allowed him to be the Lord of the, your life, you were in Christ, Christ was in you, and all of those things that were, were yours, all those things Mike read last Sunday night, they became yours the moment you said yes to Jesus. You became adopted into God's family. What do you have to do to earn it? Nothing. What do you have to do to keep it? What's the answer? Nothing. 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 We're missing what God wants to do here because I think we miss it here like they miss it here. We don't approach God like Jeroboam's wife here. We come because Jesus died for us. I mean, anyone trying to earn God's favor or thinking that God is really going to bless them, like, wow, I'm going to read my Bible every day, then God's going to bless me. No, you're mistaken, man. That, that's... When, when me doing something because I'm going to get God to do something for me, when that becomes our motivation, that's works. It's not grace. But I know it's in the back of our mind. I know it's in our thinking. Because in this world, when you work hard, you get a promotion. When you work hard in school, you get better grades. When you work hard in athletics, you become a starter. I mean, I mean that's our whole world system. But when we approach God, it doesn't work that way. Because we don't approach God based upon religion. We, both, both, we approach God based upon grace. You see, the problem with any type of, well, I'm going to get this all in order and approach God, is God looks at the heart. He sees we did something expecting to get something from him in return. And, and the Pentecostals preach the bad doctrine. You know, they say, hey, give to get. You know, they of course, they don't put it in those words, but hey, if you give to God $1,000 tonight, God's going to give you 10000 back. Come on, just give, give, give. And so people give out of coveting. And it's the wrong motive. Now, does can you outgive God? Never. Is God's math way beyond your math? Absolutely. Does Will God, out, God outgive me? Yeah, he sure will. But if I'm giving for the sole purpose of getting like the Pentecostals push, I don't think God has to honor that. It's coveting. You know, but again, God will never be a debtor to anybody. Yet in reality is, James writes, every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. And what do you have to do to get a gift? Yeah, nothing. Nothing. God is going to do good to us because it's his nature to do good. And for proof of that, the words of Jesus. Here's what he says. My father makes his son rise on the evil and on the good 
and sends rain, because they're all farmers back then, or most of them, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. What did the unjust do to get rain? Nothing. Now, with all that being said, please do read your Bible every day. That way you can follow Jesus. Just camp out in his grace. Well, failing to fool or buy off God, verse 7, Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, Because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. Remember, you got the ten tribes. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes, but you have done more evil than all who were before you. And who would that be? Don't say David. Saul and another S word. Solomon. I mean, come on, face it. Solomon did a lot of evil towards the end of his days here. For you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold... Whoa, exclamation point. But look at this uh, big dash here. And you've cast me behind your back. That, you, you already know that's not good right there when God gets cast behind your back. It's like, hey, God, let me drive the ship here. I got it. You just get out of here. I got my own thing going down. Remember last week I said that all the way through the rest of these kings of the north, it's always going to say in and they did the sin of Jeroboam. They did the sin of Jeroboam. They did the sin of Jeroboam. 20 kings worth. I will bring disaster. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam. Why? Don't say because of his sin. Because it wasn't. David sinned. Why? Why is he going to bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam? Huh? Yeah, yeah, he didn't he didn't turn like David did. But I think in a greater way, because he is worshiping other gods. David never worships other gods. David fails in a lot of different ways. But he does not worship other gods. These guys all worship other gods. They worship little idols. And there's those and those are out here today, and they're not called religion. And I'm not going to name them or list them. You everybody has to determine whether or not they have what any in their life. But I don't think it was their sin because David sinned greater than this guy. There's also a small little sin right there. Knowing the true God and being to cover yourself, to have like a shame offense. Yeah. You have to disguise yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So they're worshiping idols. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam, as one takes away refuse until it's all gone. Um, if you don't know what refuse is, just go look up uh, P-O-O-P. It doesn't matter how you spell it. It comes up the same way. Um, and I will, as one takes away refuse until it's all gone, there is nothing good there. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city. And the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Why? Because he worshipped idols and introduced idolatry to the top ten tribes of Israel. Arise, therefore, go to your own house, woman. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. Please notice, here's why. God's going to tell us why this one's going to die. 
For he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave because in him there is found something good. How wicked is your home when God has to take the young child that hasn't come of age yet and say, look, I'm going to take his life before you can corrupt him, mom and dad. That's what he's telling him. Hey, before you guys, get, be, hey, wife, before you and your husband Jeroboam get a chance to corrupt him, I am taking him to the grave because there's something good in him towards the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. Jeroboam, this is the day. What even now? For the Lord will strike Israel, and that's, again, that's the ten northern tribes. As a reed is shaken in the water, he will uproot Israel from this good land, which he gave to their fathers, and will scatter them beyond the river, because they have made their wooden images, provoking the Lord to anger. And a little under 2,000 years from the Lord speaking here, the Assyrians came and they did exactly what the Lord God said. And they carried them away to the land of what? Starts with an I. idolatry. See, God's saying, look, if that's what you want, that's what I'm going to give you. And so they are worshiping the, all these idols. So God said, okay, I'll just take you to the land of idolatry. And that's what he did. He gave them exactly what they wanted. He gave Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who had made Israel sin. So moms, what do you do? First choice, fall on your face and cry out to God. But see, she doesn't know that. This mom doesn't know that. So you stay away forever, you, you know, your child lives. Go home if you don't think you have any other options, I guess. Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Terzo. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died, just like the Lord God said. But not only does he die, his death becomes a picture to the second word that the man of God of, of Israel said would be carried out that not only will your son die, but you, but the entire northern kingdom will be carried away captive. And no doubt, if one part's true, both parts will be true. And here it was. Part one is true. Part two will be true. It'll just take a while for it to happen. And they buried him, just like God said would, would happen. The rest of his family will never be buried. But this son will be buried. And all of Israel mourned from him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant, Ahijah the prophet came to pass just like the prophet said, because the prophet had heard from God. Sad. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. You can read ahead and see how he died. I'm not going to tell you. If you're interested, go look. And we'll get to Chronicles, but it tells exactly how he dies. But what a great legacy to leave behind for the first king of the northern tribes of Israel. And I, I say that sarcastically, I mean, but there was so much potential in this man. Jeroboam, Solomon's servant, was exalted and chosen by God to be a king. The only good he actually does is he fulfills God's word by, set, by dividing the nation of Israel. By the ten tribes go to the north called Israel and the two to the south called Judah. The rest of his kingship was a disaster. But think back when, when God came to him. He cast aside the promises and the blessings of God. It was there. He, God said, look, here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm going to do through you. He threw all that away. He built and developed pagan worship for the people by making some unholy cows. 
He caused the nation of Israel sin instead of looking to God, more so than any others that will come before him except for maybe Manasseh, but Manasseh's down in the south. He instituted that anybody can be a priest, school of ordination. He was a king, but also made himself a priest, something totally forbidden by God's law. He thought he was smarter than God for trying to disguise his wife. He had only one godly son, but was not worthy to raise him, so God took him home. And Jeroboam was wiped off the planet because of his willful, sinful disobedience to the word of God by making and worshiping of his golden cow, God. It's crazy. So leaving the northern kingdom and Jeroboam, a wicked man, we're now heading down to Jerusalem to check in on Rehoboam, Solomon's son, a foolish fellow. Verse 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem. You might want to write right there, five years Egyptian evades, because somewhere around the five-year marker, Egypt comes. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Anamonitis. Now, why is the mother's name given in all these genealogies of the kings? Both the good ones and the bad ones have the mom, have the mom's name here. Yeah, I believe it's because God knows the mother has such a profound impact on the raising of the children, both good good kids and bad kids. So be careful, moms. Don't underestimate what God's given you. Be bold in that. Training, teaching, spanking, listening, nurturing, nurturing, and doing so, the church will be strong. We uh, met with uh, one of our old neighbors today and. They, they moved away up north, and, and, and she told me, yeah, the school we go to, they still give hacks. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, only in Texas. It won't hurt anybody. Moms, don't take your job lightly, but let me encourage you to find great fulfillment at raising godly kids, because God lists the moms there. And I'm sure in most cases, as we look at the sons in these genealogies, that the moms wish their names weren't here because of the wickedness of their sons, but God's going to choose to, to put him in here. Now, Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all their fathers had done. Do you realize that you can provoke God to jealousy with your sin? The, the problem with God's jealousy, unlike man's, is God doesn't act right away. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in mercy. See, man today might think they're okay because God's not acting right now, that somehow it's okay. So what is this jealousy that God speaks of? If someone came into your life seeking to seduce your children away from your God to serving idols, your jealousy of your kids loving Jesus would cause you to act. It's kind of a bad example, but it's the best I could come up with. But here, listen to Psalm 78, 58. It's a way better example. For they provoked God to anger with their high places and they moved him to jealousy with their carved images. Because see, they, God sees that as spiritual adultery. They're, they're moving away from worshiping him to worshiping other things. And we live today in a world full of other things. And so they chased after and pursued these various idols and idolatry. And the one who had blessed them and established them was moved to jealousy as it becomes spiritual adultery with the false gods they worship. Something David never did, by the way. 
Yeah, he committed murder, adultery. Yeah, he ran away to the Philistines a couple of times. Yeah, he had a census. Yeah, he did those things. But he never worshipped false gods. And he's the man after God's own heart. Yes, he and he, yes, he owned his sin. He owned his sin and he never worshipped false gods. This is how God saw Israel. And no doubt, God sees you and me, his kids as well. Listen to Isaiah 45 or 54, 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is your name. Don't have a husband? No big deal. The maker is your husband. Your husband not being your husband? Well, he shouldn't be. Well, he should be, but he shouldn't be because your first husband should be the Lord. You know, the day you look to your husband as your provider, ladies, is the day you're going to be in big trouble. Your God's your provider. He just happens to use your husband. For your maker is your husband, the Lord of hosts is his name, and your redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. He is called the God of the whole earth. And when someone comes after God's kids, God sees that as adultery. Hey, you're taking them away from me. Ezekiel 16, 38. And I will judge you as women who break wedlock or shed blood or judge. I'll bring blood upon you in fury and jealousy. Why? Because they had went away and were serving idols. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11, 12, or 11, 2, about the people that, you know, he, he went to Corinth. He founded the church there. He, here's what he says. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy, if I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. So it's very similar to how God's seeing it up north or down south now here in Judah. Judah, under the command of Rehoboam, Solomon's son, like Jeroboam, king of the north, they both have forsaken the God of creation and they both have moved into places of serving other gods. It's like, and I don't, I, I get it, but I, I, I don't get it. I mean, the promises are so thick out there for them to walk with God. But they don't. Judah, they kind of get it together every once in a great while. The north will never get it together. And once God removes the evil king that's provoking the true God to jealousy here, God will, God will move again. It's crazy, though. I think, and I could be wrong, but I believe it, idolatry in someone's life could be as easy as checking in with your fellow believer never checking in with your God. I don't know. I was trying to think of examples. What, what would that idolatry look like in a Christian's life today? I mean, I, I've had people call me and say, hey, so what do you think? I said, what does God think? Well, I haven't went to God yet. Oh, got to go. I'll pray for you. Bye. They call me back. Hey, what do you think? What did God say? Oh, I haven't went there yet. Got to go. Bye. I mean, I, could, I think, you know, we want to help people, but I think our first thing should be, hey, so what's God saying? Well, I haven't went there yet. Oh, got to go. Bye. I've been in, I was in a conversation this week. Hey, so what's God saying? Oh, I haven't been there yet. Got to go. Bye. Let me pray for you. Anything, and I'm not talking about our daily sin we all have, but anything that gets in the place of Jesus being the Lord of your life can move our God to jealousy. So we got to think about that. We have a wonderful counselor. He's going to guide us, direct us, speak to us, comfort us. And certainly as believers today, we can speak to each other. We can pray for one another. We can comfort one another. We can encourage one another. The Bible says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's the only place in the Bible that says that, Galatians chapter hmm, 
Well, it's in the book of Galatians. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. But just make sure you're not placing, taking the place of God for someone. Especially for someone that's always seemed to be in a crisis. Ask him, hey, what's God saying? More than likely, they're going to say, well, I haven't checked in. You know why? Because they don't want to hear God's answer. Just say, sorry, can't help you praying for you. Now, if you're still confused, Exodus 34, 14 is pretty clear. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Verse 23 in our study here. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. Thank you, Solomon, for introducing that to your son here. And they were also perverted persons in the land. Welcome to the worship of idols. They kind of go hand in hand. Welcome to our world today. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Man, talk about taking steps backwards. I mean, all of that that's listed there is ugly. And it all follows, followed Solomon's lead. You know, the one who had a thousand wives and the wives turned his heart to worship all these other gods. And now Rehoboam is living off of God's promise to David somehow by not being wiped out because the Messiah's got to come. Here's another weird statement. I don't know if it's true. The more I think about it, I think it's true. So, so don't stone me. The problem with lukewarm Christianity today is God's grace. So don't stone me. You gotta wait till I get all done. Then you can stone me. We know as Christians, we can't live without God's grace. It's a given right. Without God's grace, none of us would be here. For by grace we've been saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of, uh, of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God's grace is sufficient for us in all things, in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Because of the grace of God, when I am weak, that's when I'm really strong. In Titus chapter 2, God's grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it seems, though, for a lot of people, they can't live with it, or maybe they don't understand it. I mean, God's grace writes me a big blank check. Literally, the sky's the limit. But the problem with that is man is not being responsible with what God has given them. See, mankind wants the grace, the mercy, and the peace of God, but they also want the freedom to do whatever they want without ever having to check in with God. And see, I, I think that's idolatry today, and it's rampant in the church today. I want everything that God has, but I don't want God telling me how to live. I don't think that's a great place to camp out. Certainly that's what happened to these two kings. I mean, they're under the law. Hey, we want what God has for us, but we don't want God telling us what to do. But I would challenge someone to find me in the Bible where it says, I want every good thing from God, but I don't want God telling me what to do, that that's okay. I don't know where to go looking for that. I mean, Rehoboam had it all. David's lineage, God's grace was upon him, great heritage, successful kingdom, God's hand of blessing over his life. But he had a mother that had turned the heart of his father and now her son away from the Lord. She was an Ammonite. They're the ones that wanted to thrust out the right eye of all that were living in Jabesh Gilead. They were the brutal murderers during Jeremiah's time. They joined with Moab in wanting to get Balaam to curse the Israelites. They united with Sanballat to impose Nehemiah in the building of the walls. And worse than all of this, 
is the Ammonites are the one who would offer human sacrifices to Molech. Remember, we talked about that. Solomon, when he gave himself over to the worship of the, uh, of the Ammonites, they would place those newborn babies in the bronze statues that are totally blazing red hot, and they'd place them in there, and they would cook them to death. So inhumane. So ungodly. It's murder. In Ezekiel 25, because of the Ammonites' continual wickedness and their opposition to Israel, Ezekiel, Ezekiel prophesied against them and said that their destruction would be complete. This is what he said. I want you to think about this is Solomon's, one of Solomon's wife, and this is Rehoboam's, this is Rehoboam's mom. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, set your face against the Ammonites and prophesy against them. Say to the Ammonites, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, aha, against my sanctuary when it was profane and against the land of Israel when it was desolate and against the house of Judah when they went into captivity. I mean, they were making fun of them when they went into captivity. Indeed, therefore, I'll deliver you as a possession to the men of the east and they shall set their encampments among you and make their dwellings among you. They shall eat your fruit and they shall drink your milk, you Ammonites, and I'll make Rabbah a stable for camels and Ammon a resting place for flocks. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, for thus says the Lord God, because you rejoiced in the heart with all your disdain for the land of Israel, because they did that as Israel is being carried away. Indeed, therefore, I'll stretch out my hand against you, Ammonites, and give you as plunder to the nations. I'll cut you off from the peoples and I'll cause you to perish from the countries. I will destroy you and you shall know that I am the Lord. Anybody ever met met an, an, an Ammonite? Anyone ever met one? No, because God did exactly what he said. God was provoked to jealousy according to verse 22 in the year 920 or so B.C. Jerusalem was burned and conquered in 606 to 586 B.C. To 586 B.C., give or take a few years. So over 300 years later, and this is after Judah has watched Israel the 10 northern tribes be carried away captive by the Assyrians for doing the exact same thing they were doing. This is what's so crazy. Hey, hey, where did all the people up north go? Uh, well, they were worshiping idols. I, I don't really know. I mean, seriously, they had prophets there. <laughs> they were carried away because they were worshiping idols. And what does Judah do, the two tribes down south? They do the same thing. It's crazy. It's crazy. Our God is a gracious God, but he's also a consuming fire. And so the reason I think mankind has a problem dealing with God's grace is, I guess, like Jeroboam, they don't think that either, A, a God of love will act, and certainly I've heard that, or B, they, don't, they can't see, uh, thus they don't believe that they're accountable for their actions, and I'm sure there's excuses C, D, E, F, and G, but you and I were... We're called by grace. We're kept by grace. Grace is going to take us home. Just don't take it. Just don't take it for granted. What shall we say? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And you all say, certainly not. Certainly not. That's what the scripture is saying. Romans chapter six, verse twenty-five. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shikshak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. Five years after he becomes king, because God's trying to get their attention. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. And how, how worthy is a gold shield in a battle? It's not. What were they? It was all for looks. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place. <laughs> so funny. And he committed them to the hands of the captains of the guards who guarded the doorway 
of the king's house. So you see what he did here? The gold shields were not and were never practical for battle. It was all for show. You know, if, I'd imagine if Solomon's entertaining somebody, they'd bring out the gold shields and the people would stand there with their gold shields and their nice uniforms. Remember uh, uh, the lady, uh, Queen of Sheba. Remember she saw their uniforms and wow, so awesome. So what's Rehoboam doing? Building the brass ones. Well, it's easy. He's seeking to be like his dad to show off. He built brass ones to replace the gold ones. Kind of a perfect picture of the spiritual decline in the land, by the way. Went from gold to brass. They're going to be in the dirt here before we get done. But doesn't he think no one will notice that the gold shields are now brass? I don't know. Maybe they're shiny brass. They, were not, they never tarnished or something. But do you see what he's doing here? I hope none of this is happening in any of our lives. You're putting up a front to look good on the outside, but you're running out of resources on the inside. That's what he's doing here. He's losing those resources, but he still wants to keep the outside looking good. Rehoboam lost tens of millions of dollars to the Egyptians when they came up, all within the first five years of his reign. And, and, and somehow outward image has become of greater importance than inward heart. Oh, hey, let's get the, uh, let's, build, let's make some brass ones. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, totally all for show here. You should write in your Bible, all for show. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them. Yeah, why? Is someone going to attack him in the palace? <laughs> no, it's all for show. Then he brought them back into the guard room. Now, the rest of the acts of Rehoboam, because see, pride is so destructive. The rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam, Israeli brothers, all their days. One ungodly king fighting another ungodly king all of their days. Sad. So Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Naamah, an Ammonite. Did you miss it the first time? Because apparently God wants to make sure we see this. Solomon's pagan, pagan worshiping wife. God wants us to know this. You know, I often wonder why um, I turned out the way I did. Well, it's not because my family did what I did. I just took it to new levels. They're like party 101. I took it to party, you know, 1001, you know. And so be careful. We all have freedoms in Christ's parents. But be careful those freedoms you exercise because your, your kids are living in a world today and they're going to take it to a new level. You've got to be careful. And so here she is. She's named again. Not a lot to be remembered for. The sad thing is, it didn't have to be this way for him. He had such unlimited potential. It doesn't have to be that way for us either. Certainly, you and I want to seize the good works that God has prepared in advance for each one of us to walk in. And the unlimited potential is unbelievable in these last days that you and I live in. We've got to step into them. We've got to be... Walking in the spirit and not in the flesh as we deny ourselves, pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. Man, there are such incredible good works that God wants to do in your life today, this week, this month. Because if there wasn't, we wouldn't be here. You just got to walk in the spirit. Plus, you won't fulfill the deeds of the flesh. So that, that wipes out all of that. 
And then God's going to use you there, and he's going to blow your mind. Father, we're thankful for all that you want to do in our hearts. Lord, we know that your plans are so amazing beyond anything that we can imagine. 